Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Let's find uh, Matthew chapter number 11 and children fourth grade and below. You're welcome to go to Children's Church with my wife this morning and continue studying together. Matthew chapter number 11 and verse number 28. Uh, I'm going to announce as we jump into this, what I'm trying to do this morning. And uh, we're going into the holiday season, or we're in the holiday season, right? And uh, certainly, uh, we've had a great Thanksgiving. I trust that you have, and uh, that you enjoyed time with family. And I was especially encouraged to be able to spend some time with my dad, who's recently uh, come down with a cancer, and uh, they're, they're processing through that, and treatment's coming, uh, coming. But it was a very sweet time. Most all the family was together, and um, boy, what a, what a blessing in, um, family is, and it's encouraging to be able to gather together in that way. But um, I also realized that even maybe here you might say, boy, I didn't have such a good family gathering. It was, it was, there was tension and all that, and uh, that's, a, that's a part of, uh, a difficult part of life when some of those tensions are, are there and, and those are realities. But I do want us to realize as we go into the holiday season, um, that it's not always easy for everyone that you meet out in your community, your workplace. There's, there's difficulties that come along with the holiday season. I mentioned some of this last week, even as we approach Thanksgiving, but there is a reality that uh, for some people it isn't the most wonderful time of the year. There's a lot of pain, there's a lot of hurt, there's, there's disappointment, there's regrets as they reflect back. It seems that the holidays kind of bring some of those memories back. And maybe if you could even look behind some of the, the, the decorations, behind the doors that hold a wreath, behind the windows that have a tree um, lit in them, uh, maybe behind the doors in that home, there's some, there's some pain there uh, that people don't just come out and say. They, they, they suffer quietly and, and so on. And I, I think it's good for us to be aware, as those that are in Christ Jesus, be aware that we live in a very hurting world. We live in a very hopeless world. Uh, there isn't much hope when you see things continuing to rise in, in inflation. There isn't much hope when you see on the world falling apart and you see families par- falling apart and crime rising and all those things. There's a lot of hurt that goes along with that, a lot of broken relationships and, and so on. So I, I want us to really kind of frame our mind as we go into the month of December. How can we make a difference in this world? How can we connect hurting hearts to the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ? and uh, really go on a mission during this, this uh, December time looking for people who are hurting, looking for people that need the help of the Lord Jesus Christ, looking for those that need a word of hope and, and giving it to them. And so I bring us back to Matthew chapter number 11 and just a few verses here that are very well known, at least they've been well known to me since a child, and uh, very well known as an invitation from Jesus Christ. And so I want us to look here, let's read and grab a hold of what Jesus was saying and inviting to uh, many people. He says, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's read verse number 28 out loud together. Ready, begin. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father, would you guide us this morning in your word? This is your word that we have just read. You intended for us to have these, this specific invitation from our Lord Jesus. Lord, we elevate it as authoritative in our lives. We respect it, uh, that it would guide us, it would change our thinking, our living. Lord, I pray that you enable us by this invitation to reach out to those in our workplace, in our family, in our neighborhoods, in our community, Lord, that are hurting and might have come to a place of hopelessness and help them to come to you. Help them to hear and accept this invitation from you. So I pray that you would just be our guide. Would you hush our hearts before you? And uh, Lord, I just again pray for those that are not well, not able to be with us, and those that are traveling. We pray that you would watch out over our church family, wherever they may be, and would you encourage hearts today, and would we all grow in you through your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I want us to realize that uh, we, we, while we live in a very, very connected age, uh, digital connections everywhere, it doesn't take the place of you know, face-to-face interaction. We all understand that, especially having gone through COVID, right? We all understand that it's just not the same. If you're watching my live stream, it's just not the same uh, as being in person, being in the family gathering. FaceTime isn't the same. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we celebrated um, uh, some birthdays at our home, and, and we, uh, we FaceTimed one of the nephews uh, to include him in. It's just not the same. You can't, you can't smell through FaceTime. You can't taste cake through FaceTime. You can't do all that as of yet, right? Um, but digital connection really isn't, isn't that powerful of a connection. Uh, face-to-face is. And we live in a day that we're very connected but very, very isolated. And there's many people who are suffering in isolation. There's many people who are facing uh, depression and facing even uh, where life has become so burdensome to them that they, they despair of life. And they're all around us. They might walk past us in the grocery store. They might be our next door neighbor and we don't have an awareness of it. And I'd like for us to really just take a moment today to realize that life is indeed hard. Life is indeed hard. And you all know you personally have hardness in your life. You understand that life isn't always a, a bed of roses. It isn't always just a straight path. Sometimes it's very, it's very rocky and it's very difficult, but life indeed is hard. Job 5 and verse number 7 says this, Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Uh, if you've ever seen someone, uh, someone grinding down a piece of metal, you see the, the sparks just uh, uh, flying out. That's the idea. Life is difficult in that way. It, 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 man is born into trouble. He's born into adversity. And, and there's just an explosion of sparks, as it were. There's, there is the, the reality of the difficulty in man's life. And so Job understood that. Job well understood that. Did he not? He lost all that he had. He lost all of his wealth. He lost his family. He well understood what it was to be a man full of adversity. And he says, listen, this is the reality of life. Now, Job was the first, uh, the first book uh, uh, written in time in the Bible, chronologically. And 
just understand, he was a man that did not have all, that, all the knowledge that we have about God and, and God's presence, but he, he realized life was hard. He also realized that God was with him through those adversities. I want us to notice in Matthew 11 and verse number 28, I want us to notice the, the, um, the, the words, come unto me all ye, all ye. Jesus is calling out to many who are suffering under the hardships of life, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. But he's calling out to many, and he's saying, hey, all you that I've seen, all you that I've interacted with, I want you to hear a message. I want you to hear an invitation from me. Come unto me, all ye. These were the people that Jesus had seen in his ministry. These were the people that had, um, that had heard him preach. These were the people that had seen him uh, heal another or heal themselves. These were the people that maybe had rejected him. Matthew 9 and verse 36 says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Think about all the people that came out to see Jesus. And Jesus said, come unto me, all ye. All ye. He was talking to people just like you and me. He was talking to people like the people that you see in your neighborhood. He was talking to the people like you see and work alongside of. Come unto me, all ye. Matthew 10 and verse number 6. But go rather, he told his disciples, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And go as ye go, preach, saying. And he sent his disciples out to all these people that he has, was burdened for and was inviting back to himself to find the answer to the hardness of life, to the difficulty of sin in himself. And so Jesus has given an invitation to those that are facing the hardness of life. Come unto me, all ye that labor. Now, think about this. He's calling to those that are exhausted from the struggle. They're exhausted from the struggle. Life is difficult. And I'm not trying to put a downer on it. The hope is Jesus Christ. The hope is always Jesus Christ. But as long as there's been sin on earth, life has been difficult. Do you remember what God told Adam after you sinned? By the sweat of your brow, you're going to get your food. Uh, Eve, you're now going to have pain in childbirth. Don't you, uh, all you ladies just love Eve. <laughs> like, you're now going to have pain in childbirth. You're going to need, you're going to need some painkillers right? Uh, you're going to have a difficult time. And as long as there's been sin, there's been difficulty, there's been disease, there's been things that would burden us. And he's calling out to those that are exhausted from the struggle. Look what he says, all ye that, what? Labor, labor. This is referring to getting exhausted from overuse and great strain, just being tired. Uh, there are people that work many hours of overtime and they're, they come home and all they can do is sleep. They sit down in the easy chair and they fall asleep, right? Uh, there are people that work very, very manual jobs. I was talking to someone on uh, this, um, this past week about uh, the, their job and, and how manual it was. And, and it says, sometimes I just, I, I just fall asleep and I, I wake up, I have to go to the, on the same exact thing the next day. It's so manual, the exhaustion that comes from labor. This is, this is the idea Jesus is calling out to those that are actively working and toiling and struggling and thereby they are exhausted from their own efforts, their own struggle. We certainly understand that many are suffering and struggling through the consequences, the struggles of sin. The Pharisees in that day had looked to the people and they were, a, they were more than just a religious structure. They were a political religious structure of authority that, that dominated, 
dominated the people. And they had forced upon the people a religious uh, uh, set of rules of do's and don'ts. They had added many traditions and many, many things to the law, many things to what God had said. And, and this is where we get the idea of, of, of legalism in the sense that, that they were adding to Christ. They, they thought you needed to keep the law in order to be saved. And we'll, we'll uh, say more about that in a moment. But they had added so much. Uh, they had added so much burden upon the people. And yes, the people struggling under their own sinfulness, their own need for a Redeemer, their own need for a Messiah, in that day, in Jesus' time, they were struggling under this burden. They were exhausted from it. It was a reality. Religion is a system of, of works, and you might find people uh, out in the community who say, oh, I'm just done with organized religion. I just don't want anything to do with it. Listen, Jesus is not about religion. He's never been about religion. He wants a relationship with you. And that's not just a tidy little saying. That's a reality. Religion is man's effort to get to God. It's man's um, structure, spiritual structure, in order to get to God. Do this, and you'll, be, uh, you'll earn favor uh, with God. Don't do this, and you'll be blessed of God. And all this, this religious structure, in order to gain God's merit, in order to gain God's favor, and that's exactly what the, the Pharisees had pressed upon them. Jesus said, that isn't the way that you're going to have eternal life. He said, if, if you uh, if you're, accept your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, except you're absolutely perfect. Because they, they had such a high standard that they demanded of the people, do all of this stuff, do all that we say, and you'll gain favor with God. What people were struggling under the, the, the strain of that, they were exhausted from that. As I said, legalism is adding the law to Christ for salvation. Galatians talks about that. Legalism is not just a policy. Legalism is not, you know, sometimes around a church, you might, you might hear saying, well, some, uh, th- that, that's legalistic. Uh, legalism is not just having a position or a stand. Every, every organization, every, every person ought to have a place where they stand. But legalism is, according to the Bible, adding the law to salvation, adding law-keeping to to Christ for salvation. So I must keep the law and believe in Christ in order to be saved. That's legalism. Whenever we add something to Jesus Christ, that's a biblical definition of legalism. We throw that around a lot and loosely in this day, but they, that was a true, the true example of legalism in that day was what the Pharisees were doing and what the Judaizers would continue to do in Galatians and say, listen, you can't just be saved by, um, by believing in Jesus. You must keep the law as well. You must be circumcised as well. And so there was such a struggle in that day uh, under all this. I want to remind you, Jesus said in Romans 10 and verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. What? He says, I'm the fulfillment of the law for righteousness. I, I have come and I've lived a perfect life for you so that you might have eternal life so that your righteousness might exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew 5, 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to obliterate it. No, what did he do? I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill it. Jesus lived a perfect life for you so you don't have to. It doesn't mean that you don't follow after him, but you don't have to in order to be saved. And I'm thankful today that I'm not saved by my works. Aren't you? Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Now, do we need to obey God? Do we need to follow on the Ten Commandments? Do we need to obey these things? Out of our salvation, we ought to. We ought to desire to please God. 
He didn't come to do away with it. He came to enable us to obey him, to follow after him. But it's not, our obedience does not give us salvation. Faith in Jesus Christ does. And so he's calling out to all those that are laboring under this, not only under the, um, their physical burdens, but also just the, the, the strain, the struggle of this religious structure that was all around them, placed upon them by the Pharisees. So a common question that we hear throughout culture, and really across cultures, across time, people are constantly wondering in their mind, am I good enough for God? Am I good enough for God? Religion preys on that and says, well, if you do this, you can be good enough. If you do this, if you get baptized, if you take, uh, uh, take on communion, if you, if you follow uh, and, uh, the golden rule, if you, if you attend church, all these things adding on, then you will be good enough for God. Jesus says, no, I was good enough. Accept what I did for you at the cross and you can have eternal life. You have the complete forgiveness of sins. And so he's calling to all these because he is the answer. Come unto me, all ye that labor. All around us, there are people that are exhausted from laboring to be good enough for God. All around us. And they're not going to come out and just say, you know what, I am, I am tired and worn out from trying to be good enough for God. You're going to hear it in their conversations. You get to know them. You're going to hear from them. Boy, I, I, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. God, God, God's not going to be interested in me. I, I probably won't be able to spend, uh, I hope I get to spend time in heaven, but I probably won't be able to. And, and there's this, this hopelessness that is developed in their hearts. All around us, there are people that are laboring to be good enough, only to be exhausted physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And friends, it manifests itself in their lives, in the hopelessness of their lives. They're exhausted as they, they face uncured diseases. They don't know how to, who to turn to. They don't know where there's hope. They face broken relationships. They face loneliness, depression, suicidal thoughts. They're broken, they're disregarded, they're rejected. All around us, there are people like that, fatherless, forsaken, widowed, full of guilt, regret. Those maintaining a, a mass, just hoping that no one will find out what's truly going on in their life. No shepherd of their soul, as Jesus said in Matthew 9 and 36. No shepherd of their soul. Talk about an exhausting place to be. And friends, you and I have the opportunity during this season to look out for those type of people. And God can bring us to those hearts. They may be behind a closed door, but God can connect us to those hearts. Jesus is inviting, come unto me all ye that labor you're exhausted from the struggle but also those that are burdened with problems all ye that labor and are heavy laden he says heavy laden come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden you are burdened down someone has put a burden upon you so whereas the exhaustion comes from them toiling and struggling it's more of an active idea here he's calling out to those that have been burdened down by the the consequences of others what others have placed upon them and he's saying i want you to come to me life has a way of burdening us down it has a way of uh, uh, even for a christian it has a way of burdening us down does it not now, I want to give us some illustrations and broaden out and see the context of whom Jesus is talking to. As we start chapter number 11, if you notice, and it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in other cities. Now, when John, and that's referring to John the Baptist, had heard, uh, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto them, Art thou he uh, that we should come 
that should come, or do we look for another? And simply, he sent his disciples to, to say to, uh, to Jesus, are you the one that we are to look for? Are you the actual Messiah that we were, we were looking for? Now remember, this is the same John that in John chapter number 1, the Gospel of John chapter number 1, when he saw Jesus coming, he was baptizing uh, Israelites. When he saw Jesus coming, he says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the, the sin of the world. Uh, he's the one that I'm not even worthy to unloose his shoe latchet. So John had realized Jesus is the Messiah. He had declared that to many people, but now in a place of, of difficulty, now in prison for uh, crying and preaching truth against the, against the king, uh, he is at a place of doubt. And I just want us to realize that, you know, life has a way of burdening us down with doubt. John was literally a man that God said, Jesus said there, there was no greater born of women. Uh, he was a pretty incredible man. He was a forerunner of Christ. And he, at a very difficult time in his life, was burdened down with doubt. Are you the one that, that was promised, or do we seek for another? Now, we can, we can maybe think less of John, but we've all been there in that exact place. Does God really care for me? Does, does he care that I'm going through this? Does he, does he mind that I am suffering from this, this rejection? Does he, does he care about the trial that I'm going through? So in this great time of trial, John the Baptist began to doubt the very one he had already declared. And friends, we need to be aware that there are even other believers that might struggle and might struggle under the burden of doubt, but certainly those that are without Without God, they, are, they struggle. Does, does God really care about my life? Does Jesus, and we, we hear about Christians and, and they, we see them going to church, but does God even care about me? Can he even be known? And the struggle and the burden of doubt, no one is exempt from the burden of doubt. If John the Baptist can doubt and wonder about who Jesus is, no one is exempt from the burden of doubt. What about the burden of sin? We find in chapter 11, verses 20 through 24, then Jesus began to abrade the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. So he began to, he began to talk to Chorazin and he talked to Capernaum around the Sea of Galilee and he, he said, listen, you have not accepted my message. You've rejected it. You've not repented. You've not changed your mind uh, about your sin. You've not changed your mind about me. You've not accepted me. And woe unto you. And he pronounces a curse upon them. Listen, those people in those cities were laboring under the burden of sin. Though they did not turn to Jesus, laboring under the burden of sin. I'm reminded of this, Proverbs 13 and verse 15. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is, do you remember? Hard hard there is no greater burden that a person will face than the burden of sin there is no greater person than a per, uh, than an unbeliever apart from christ than the burden of sin by the way there's no greater burden for a believer than to walk through life with unconfessed sin it's a burden it's a burden jesus is calling to all those that are burdened down with problems the burden of doubt are you really who you say you are? Do you really care? The burden of sin, as we see in these cities. Romans 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 
the burden of sin has swept across every single person across the face of humanity and across all of time. It's a great burden, but Jesus went to the cross to bear that burden. It actually says, 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, who in his own self bear our sins. Jesus went to the cross to bear our sins. Friend, believer, you don't have to go through life with unconfessed sin. Jesus already died for that sin. He wants to forgive you. He wants to, uh, he wants to give you fellowship, bring you back into fellowship, as First John talks about, with the Heavenly Father. But he wants to do that for every person in our city, every person in your neighborhood. He wants them to bring them into reconciliation, forgive them all of all their sin, lift the burden of their sin, and free them once and for all. That's what he wants to do. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, heavy burdened. But also the burden of religion, as we've already touched on, verses 12, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the very, the very following event, Jesus and his disciples are going through a, a cornfield, and it was the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is Sunday. We worship on the Lord's day, according to Revelation. That was uh, the, day, uh, the day of Jesus' resurrection, Sunday, the first day of the week. So we gather together in the New Testament church on the Lord's day to celebrate and commemorate his resurrection. Every, day is Easter, every Sunday is Easter Sunday for us, right? And so we are thankful for that. That's why we gather. But they, were, they would gather the Jewish people would gather on the Sabbath, Saturday, as a day of rest and worship. And so they're going through the cornfield, um, Jesus and his disciples, on the Sabbath day. And uh, the Pharisees have their binoculars out, and they're watching them. What, what is Jesus going to do that we can pounce on him and cause and stir trouble? I mean, think about this. They're going through a cornfield, and, and, they're, and they're under surveillance. We have surveillance in this, in this day, digital surveillance, but these Pharisees had pretty good surveillance. And so they were surveilling uh, Jesus, and they saw his disciples eating corn, picking corn on the Sabbath day. And that violated their rules that they had pressed upon the people. You can't, you can't do any work. They were trying to survive, and you can't do any work. Notice in verse number, uh, on chapter 12, verse number 2. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Okay? You violated our laws. You violated our traditions. You violated what we are impressing upon the people. This was the spirit that was across all of Jerusalem in that day. This oppressive burden of religion. And it was pressed upon them by the religious political structure. And it was a reality that every, every man, every woman, every boy, every child, every girl was under this burden of religion. What did Jesus say? I want us to, to recognize this. Where did Jesus go back to in his defense? But he said unto them, have ye not read? Where did he go back to? He went back to the scripture. Have ye not read, and that's what we ought to do too, have ye not read the, the word of God is our final authority for faith and practice, what David did when he was hungered and they, gave, uh, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were uh, with him, but only for the priest. Haven't you read? There was, there was hunger, they were hungry, and, and this, this scenario happened where he ate and, and enjoyed that, though it was not lawful, he ate and enjoyed that to satisfy the hunger. And he goes on to talk about how the, the Sabbath was not made for man, but man, uh, uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for man. And he talks about this, and, and really, 
uh, rebuttal, uh, rebuts their, their, their accusation against him and against his disciples. And I just want us to realize they were suffering under this burden of religion and so aren't the people in our community. Friends, there is no greater despair than to realize I have to work my way to heaven. I have to perform constantly. I have to constantly making sure that I have all my, my sins confessed, that I'm constantly doing the right thing, that I'm going to the right places, that I'm following the religious rules. What a burdensome thing. When do you know you've done enough? You never do. You go out into eternity, and so many people will say this, I'll just leave that up to God. And I often ask them, don't you think a loving God would want you to know ahead of time, before it's too late, whether you've made it or not? And we live in a community where people are laboring under the burden of religion. Jesus has the answer. So listen, they have hopelessness, not only from their own sin, but their own problems, whether that's a depression, whether that's a broken relationship, whether that's a financial structure, struggle, and the very place one would think they need to turn to God is not a place of hope when it's do this in order to earn favor with God. It's not a place of hope. And so we need to realize Jesus is calling to all those that are laboring, actively laboring and exhausted, and all those that are burdened down by everything around them, and he's calling to them, come to me, come to me. I want to help you. And every person you meet is bearing some kind of burden. How would that change the way that you treat the rude person in the store if you realize they're bearing a burden I don't fully understand? They're bearing some sort of burden. Well, they don't have to be rude about it. How would it change our perspective if we looked at them as a person under the weight of something? And you know what? We all respond, sometimes not so good, under the weight, don't we? Think about a person that doesn't have God how they might respond when, when you don't quite move fast enough out of, the, out of the green light, right? Put on the horn or go around you. You know, it's amazing how people respond. But we live in a society where people are burdened down. They're hurting. Would God help us to change our perspective? Life is hard. That's not the end of the story, thank God. That's not the end of the story, and that's not where we're going to end, but we need to be mindful of this. Now, in order to help other people with their burdens, you and I need to deal with our burdens. And God has already told us what to do with that, and sometimes we do better than, uh, than at other times with this, but Jesus said in 1 Peter 5, and verse number 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Let's say that together. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He does want us to cast our burdens upon him and cast our cares, our anxieties upon him. And when we are doing that actively, friends, we can help others with it. When we're going through life burdened down from all the pressures of life and not giving them over to Jesus, it's very difficult for us to see other people's burdens. We get very, very self-focused. And Lord, help us with that because we probably all struggle with that a little bit more than we want to admit. Have you ever gone into a, a store? I don't want to talk to anybody. You know, sometimes, you know, I, I, I try to carry tracks with me, and there's, there's been times, I, I'm, I'm confessing, there's been times, you know, I don't, I don't feel in the mood to talk to anybody, right? I, I have my own burden today. Oh, that God would help us to release our burdens to him, because he does care for us, so that we can help other people with their burdens. Now, what's ultimately the, the help? 
Uh, I want us to, again, recognize that the, the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. Uh, it is the ultimate authority. The Bible says in John chapter number 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word that you hold in your hands today is the literal revelation of Jesus Christ himself. We understand Jesus by the Word. And so we believe that God provides us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the pages of this book. It is what stands for all of eternity. Many men have tried to disparage it, get rid of it, but it stands. And no matter the attacks that come against it, no matter how it's despised in our world, it stands forever and forever. And praise God for that. Aren't you thankful that this is a sure thing? So as we consider that, we need to go back to Jesus Christ, who is the, the, the living word. And we need to see that, yes, life is hard, but Jesus can help. And Jesus will help. I want us to notice this for a moment. Jesus does not address in this invitation, he does not address all the people and the reasons causing the labor and the burdens. He does not hold a conference and say, now let's talk about all the list of things that are causing you to, uh, to labor and all the burdens that have been placed upon you. Let's talk through this. Let's have a, a group share. Let's, let's have a, a, a support group. I'm not against support groups. I'm just saying, hey, Jesus did not call a support group. Let's list all these things out, all right? He does, not, he does not do that. He also does not go deal with all those issues that are out in life, all the, the, the laborings, the things causing the labor or the burdens being pressed upon people. He doesn't go out and deal and get rid of those things. He does not eradicate those things. I want us to notice that while he does not remove them, he does give himself, presents himself as the answer to them. This is very important for us to understand. You might, you might come across a situation this, this month where you feel like, man, I wish I could remove that burden from that person. I wish I could help them not to be so exhausted. You may not be able to change that. But you can get them to the answer who is Jesus Christ. That's a big, big, big deal. The social justice movement, the social, uh, uh, the, the humanitarian movement is always concerned with trying to remove the burden. Not against, we should care about the fatherless, the widows, the hungry, we should care about them. We should do our very best to do as Jesus did. He fed people, but he was always concerned with their greater need, and that was him. That was coming to him. Do you see the difference? I might not be able to remove all the burdens and the, the exhaustion. I probably will not be able to. Jesus himself did not go deal and remove all those things. He says, come to me. I'm the answer to that. And you might need to hear that again this morning, be reminded of that this morning. You might say, well, if I could just get rid of this burden, then I'd be good. No, you need to get to Jesus. You need to get close to him. How do you do that? You get into his word and in prayer. Just going back to the basics again. Let the word of God dwell in your hearts richly. Let Jesus dwell in your heart. Let him be realized in your heart. So Jesus says, you know what? I'm not dealing with all that, but I am inviting you to myself. And that's exactly what we must do. Let's think about this invitation. He says, come unto me. Come unto me. He did not say, go to a place. He did not say, go to a group. He did not say, go do this, these five steps. He says, come unto me. Get close to me. Take a step towards me. I want us to remember back in John chapter 3. There was this man named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee. He was a religious elite. And what did Nicodemus do? He came to Jesus by night. Do you know the other three times that he's mentioned in Scripture? Uh, you know, in those times, 
He is mentioned as the one, it's always tagged along with his name, the one that came to Jesus by night. But I want us to realize he came to Jesus. Out of all that religious structure, all, all the burdening down of the people, he stepped away from that and he came to Jesus. Jesus, we know that, you are a, uh, that you're sent from God. No one, no one could do all these things except to be sent from God. Jesus said, hey, you need to realize, Nicodemus, that you must be born again. You must accept me. You must come to me. And he was a man that left the religious structure and came to Jesus Christ. This is the first step. Jesus is inviting people to come to him. One of the most precious stories, I think, around surrounding the cross is the story of what Nicodemus did for Jesus. In John 19 and verse number 39, him and Joseph of Arimathea begged the body of Jesus. They spent their own money to prepare the body. They took it off the cross and they laid it in Joseph's tomb. Joseph was a very well-to-do man. Uh, Nicodemus probably was as well. But the fact is, in the, the, the most helpless, if I can say that, helpless moment of Jesus' physical life, right, when he, he had willingly yielded up the ghost, yielded up his life, and his body was there. They took that body and they cared for it and put it in the tomb. Do you realize that Nicodemus, by doing that, identified with Jesus? There was not one other Pharisee in that town that cared about that body. Who cares what happens to it? But he identified with Jesus in his death. And along with Joseph of Arimathea, they lost social respect, no doubt, among the religious elites and, and, and so on. And, and he, the one who came out of that religious structure, came to Jesus. Jesus made a difference in his life, so much so that Nicodemus was willing to identify with Jesus at the worst time of his, of his physical life. Coming indicates an acknowledgement of need. Coming indicates an acceptance of what Jesus has to offer. Oh, I'm going to come to you and receive what you're offering to me. And, and that's what Nicodemus did in the solution to every problem, especially the problem of sin, is to get to Jesus or to answer this invitation, to receive this invitation, come to Jesus. Jesus said this, John 6, 37. All that the Father hath given me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Are you thankful today that there's not one person, including yourself, that when we have come to Jesus, he didn't say, nope, you're not good enough. You're not my kind. No, Jesus says, I'm not going to cast anyone who comes to me out. He didn't cast Nicodemus out. He didn't cast Zacchaeus out, a thief. He didn't cast the woman at the well out who had had multiple relationships. He didn't cast the woman caught in adultery out. Uh, he did not cast any of these out. Those that came to him, he says, I will in no wise cast out. And God continues to call to all of us, all of us as believers, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. The invitation is come, come, come. That's the invitation. The invitation of the religions around is do this, do this, work, and maybe one day you'll, you'll get to be with God. No, Jesus right now is calling, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But Jesus isn't just interested in your proximity. He's not just interested in you being close to him. He's interested in doing something for you. Notice his promise in verse number 28, and I will give you rest. And I will give you rest. What a divine, unbreakable, absolute promise. One author said, I myself, I, I myself will give you pause and rest. It's so emphatic, Jesus is saying, and I, 
I will give you rest. I will be the one that is the source of your rest. I will cause your rest. I will, I will make this a reality in your life. Nothing else can cause rest. A nice Thanksgiving dinner with, with you know, a pleasant family atmosphere will not give lasting rest. Uh, having some new thing will not give you rest. Having all your bills paid will not give you rest. Jesus himself gives rest. I want us to turn over to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 1. And I want us to see what the Bible says about this matter of rest. How does a person receive this rest? Jesus is inviting everyone. Please come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I want to give you rest. Notice this promise, Hebrews 4 and verse number 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should uh, seem to come short of it. You, you fall short of this rest. Verse number two, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them. Why is it that some people hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and it changes their life, and others it does not change their life? Well, the Bible's gonna tell us. It did not profit them, verse number two, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. They didn't receive it by faith. They didn't say, yes, I believe this. But let's go on. Verse number three. For we which have believed do enter into rest. Let's say that together. For we which have believed do enter into rest. Have you entered into rest today? By believing on Jesus Christ? True, eternal rest. My eternity is settled. I, I, my eternity is secure. And he goes on to say, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they, shall enter into, uh, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. He's saying, listen, I've made this possible, and I, I was slain from the foundation of the world. I, I have offered this rest, and those that believe receive this rest. What's Jesus inviting all those that labor and are heavy laden to do? Believe on me. I'm the answer, and I will always be the answer. Once you've believed, I will continue to be the answer to your burdens, to your, to your need for rest. Before we're saved, we tried to work and struggle for our salvation. After we came to Christ and believed on him, we realized you know, it wasn't our works and our, our self-righteousness that was gonna make, uh, make us uh, have favor with God. It was Jesus and what he had done for us at the cross. The difference between doing for our salvation, working for our salvation, and receiving it as already done at the cross. He's saying, believe on me. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace, we have peace, we have rest, we have tranquility with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have reconciliation. There's no greater rest than to know that I'm reconciled to my creator. No greater rest. And there's no greater rest for all those burdened down and laboring around us and in our neighborhoods than to be reconciled with their creator. This peace is to permeate our lives, friends to permeate your life. Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And he talks about having his peace. I've spoken these things unto you that you might have peace. I've given you my word that you might have peace in this world. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. But I want you to have peace. So he says, come unto me. I will give you rest. This is his invitation. This is his promise. But notice, those that come, he gives instruction. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Jesus is instructing all that come and receive his rest, his salvation, to enter into a lifetime of submitted training, a lifetime of discipleship, a lifetime of 
I'm going to follow you. And I want us to notice the word picture that he uses. He says, take my yoke upon you. This yoke being this this wooden structure, this wooden piece that they would put around two animals' neck to allow them to uh, to couple their power, couple their strength together and plow uh, together and, and not be as weary together. And it's interesting that he uses this picture. He says, take my yoke. The beautiful thing is he isn't saying get in the yoke with two other believers. He's saying get in the yoke with me. That's beautiful, friends. Can you imagine what a difference it would make to our church family if every one of us were in the yoke with Jesus Christ? Now, this is so important for us to grab a hold of. He, there's many who say just come to Jesus, receive his salvation, and go live as you want. That is not the message of Jesus Christ. We don't work for our salvation, but Jesus says, come to me, believe on me, enter into my rest, and then walk with me. Now, the thing about a yoke is you got to walk where the other one walks or there's going to be a constant struggle, right? You have, to, you have to go along. And the amazing thing about a yoke is it, it enables you to accomplish more than you could on your own. Fact is, without Jesus Christ, John 15 and verse number 5, we can do nothing. But yoked with him, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. What a blessing that is. And so when we get yoked together in Christ, it's to not just know things about the Lord. It's not just to know things about Jesus. It is to actually experience Jesus. When Jesus goes somewhere and he cares for somebody, he says, I want you to take time and talk to that person. And we follow him in the yoke. We actually get to experience the heart of Christ, the the attitude of Christ, the, the love of Christ, the compassion of Christ. When he says, don't say that or go get that right, we get to experience Christ. We get to experience the life of Christ in the yoke. You don't get to experience outside the yoke, but he's inviting you, he's instructing you, take my yoke upon you. Hey, this is a command for you and I. Take my yoke upon you. Have you taken on the yoke? Uh, Those that are unsaved don't want to take on the yoke. They need to first come to Jesus Christ and believe on him and enter into his rest. But that instruction for all those that have, take on the yoke. I want us to catch this. The rest that Jesus gives can only be enjoyed and experienced in the context of a committed relationship with Jesus Christ. A committed daily relationship with Jesus Christ. Discipleship is being a committed follower of Jesus Christ. There is no rest for a believer outside of that context. Because that's not the way. God did not intend for you just to receive salvation and go live as you please. Romans talked to us about that. Shall we sin that grace may abound? Well, God forbid. God is inviting us, Jesus is inviting us into a committed relationship of experiencing him, walking with him, walking side by side with him every day of our life. He exemplified that even in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thine be done. That's the type of commitment that we ought to have towards Jesus Christ. And so he says, take my yoke upon me. This is my instruction. And and sometimes people think, well, if I get in the yoke, that seems kind of uh, confining. Listen, Jesus gives us liberty. In, in his truth, there is liberty. There's freedom. We get to go wherever Jesus goes. That's a blessed life. That's not a restricted life. That's a blessed life. He also knows where we shouldn't go, and he protects us. That's a blessed life. Uh, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And the Psalm 23 tells us what it would be like to walk next to, to, to be in the yoke with such a wonderful, wonderful Savior. There's no want there. There's no lack there. 
Now, some people might think, well, if I, if I say yes to the Lord, if I get in the yoke with him, is he going to hurt me? Can he ask me to do something I don't want to do? Well, then we don't understand Jesus very well. We don't understand his love and his care. And I want us to see this last part of his invitation, and it's his guarantee. You will find rest to your souls. You will find rest, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. You will find a restful relief. You'll find a ceasing from activity. You'll find tranquility. You'll find that in the heart of hearts. You'll discover this inside the yoke. You'll discover this when you walk with me and experience me. You'll find also that my yoke is easy. It's gently pleasant. It's not burdensome like the religious structure of the the Pharisees. It's gently pleasant. And my yoke is light. My, uh, my burden is light. It's, it's, it compared to what you are struggling under right now, there's no comparison. It's light. I lift burdens. I don't put burdens upon you. I lift them up. In an ancient culture, the word yoke was a term that was used to describe submission. So when you said someone was yoked or yoked to someone, you were describing that they were in submission to them. You know that Jesus is calling us into a place where we're going to hear and learn of him and that we're going to submit our lives to him? Yes, it's a place of submission. But here's the reality of this, friends. True rest of soul is only found in total submission to Jesus Christ. True rest for your soul and every person around is only found in full submission to Jesus Christ. I remember the day that I fully resigned my life to Jesus Christ at the age of 17. It was a life-changing day. It was a burden lifted. It was no more struggle. No more trying to explain and rationalize why I was trying to do what I wanted to do. It was, Lord, whatever you want with my life. And friends, that is a place of true rest. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto, unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's the place of true, true rest. It's found in submission, and he invites all those that come and believe on him and enter into his rest, that eternal rest that, uh, that he is now causing their soul not to struggle anymore. Where will I spend eternity? What, uh, what do I need to do in order to merit favor with God? All that's settled. All that is now rest. He's inviting them, get in the yoke with me and make this an everyday reality. And friends, this is the message that we must bring to other people, but we must live it ourselves. I want you to notice this, and I'm, I'll probably say more about this book in the days ahead, but it's um, been something that has been encouraging my heart. Henry Blackaby wrote the book, Experiencing God, Knowing and Doing the Will of God. And I quote from his perspective on this invitation, God is not a concept or doctrine. He is a person who seeks a close one-on-one relationship with you and me. God does not want us to merely believe in him. He wants, us to re- relate to, he wants to relate to us on a personal level. He does not just want to hear us recite prayers. He wants to converse with us. God's plan is not to abandon Christians once we're born again, leaving us to build the best life we can. He does not intend on that we simply use our wits to get by, to bravely survive, until we are finally ushered into heaven, God wants to be actively involved in our lives each day. 
God wants to be actively involved in your lives each day. And that is what Jesus is inviting all these people to do. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want to be actively involved in your life. And you know what? This is true for you. This is true for every person that we're going to meet this Christmas season. So let's help them to understand there is hope. Let's help them to hear this message, come unto me. Not everyone's listening to that. They're not all coming to churches, banging on the door, saying, what's the message from Jesus? No, we have to take that message out there. Come unto me, all ye that labor. Jesus wants you. He wants you to come into his rest. He wants you to walk with him. He wants to be involved in your life for the rest of your life. He wants to guide you through every difficulty, through every circumstance. He wants to use you. He wants to give you purpose. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. That's the message of hope. And that's the message of hope that we get to bring to our community this season. And may God help us with that. Would you bow with me in prayer? And we're going to pray about this and ask the Lord to help us to use us in this way. I do first want to ask, have you accepted this invitation personally? Do you know for certain that your sins are forgiven and that you have a home in heaven? Have you entered into Christ's rest that he's offering through faith in him? Yes, it, it requires acknowledging I am a sinner. I do, deserve, I do deserve the penalty of hell. But he came and died on the cross in my place, bearing my sins so that I might be healed, that I might have rest. How many would say this morning, Pastor, I know for certain I have entered into that rest. I've entered into the rest of salvation. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. That's my testimony. Would you raise your hand to that? That's my testimony. I've entered into that rest. Praise the Lord. I believe I'm speaking to mostly Christians here this morning. Have you discovered the true rest that comes from getting in the yoke with Jesus? Have you submitted fully to his will, to his way? Are you walking beside him in the yoke? Have you gotten in that yoke with him? Are you submitted to him? Maybe you'd say, Pastor, this morning, that's where God really dealt with my heart, and I need to, I need to talk to God about that. I don't know that I'm fully submitted to him, but I'd like to be. You say, that's my testimony this morning. I need to get in that yoke. I need to get in that yoke. If that's you, would you just admit that to the Lord this morning? How many would say, during this Christmas season, I want to do my very best to seek out those who need to hear this message of hope and help them hear the invitation from Jesus, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I mean, you say, Pastor, I want to be a part in this Christmas season of taking that message to other people in my community, my workplace, in my neighborhood, wherever I go. I want to be a part of that. Is that your testimony today? Would you acknowledge that to the Lord? And would you, would you join me in praying this, this morning? Let's stand to our feet. I'd like you to find a place to kneel, maybe here at the altar. And let's ask the Lord to help us with that. I don't know about you. Sometimes that's a little bit daunting. But let's, let's talk to the Lord about that this morning. Let's find a place just to kneel before him. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.